Our scripture passage for today is from the book of Acts in chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you have ever found yourself on the way to do a bad thing. I can remember vividly several moments in my life when an unfamiliar rage has overtaken my brain and body and set me on a path to do a bad thing. One memory that comes to mind is when I was a teenager and I overheard one of my brothers, a preteen himself, make one more bitingly disrespectful comment to my mother. It pushed me over the edge. It was one too many. I found his words and his attitude to be unacceptable. From the living room, I heard his comment. I stood and marched with the zeal and self-righteousness of Saul on the Damascus Road himself, down the hallway and into the kitchen, where I looked my brother square in the eye and slapped him with all my might across the face. My brother stared at me, absolutely stunned. And those hard edges and arrogance melted from my brother's face. And suddenly standing in front of me was no longer this preteen young man, but a child. And I watched as crocodile tears filled his eyes. I had hurt him so deeply. I learned that day that using power to punish and to hurt is wrong. And I also learned that I could be on the way to do a bad thing, believing fiercely and forcefully that it was the right thing. In our text for today, Saul is on, the, on his way to do a bad thing. And he is so sure it is the right thing. 
Saul's determination to root out these followers of the way is not only a matter of his theology or his sentiment, but it is a matter of his very body and soul. His hatred for these Christians is elemental. It is chemical in nature, for he breathes threats and murder. In the Greek, Saul is literally animated by hatred. He seeks to physically destroy these early Christians, physically entering their homes to bind them, men and women, and haul them to prison. He oversees mob deaths of martyrs like Stephen. Saul is the religious establishment's chief punishment officer. Saul's hatred is not a matter of thoughtless rage. It is a systematized, violent, methodical hatred that composes his very identity, his actions, and his soul. Like a righteous big sister marching from the living room to the kitchen to slap her brother in the face, Saul has gathered his pieces of evidence from the high priest in Jerusalem and is marching the 135 miles to Damascus with his posse to shackle and bring judgment on followers of the way there. And he is so sure that he is right. Maybe you've heard this story before, and like me, seen a man who needs to be punished for his acts of punishment. What Saul needs is a good slap in the face, a swift kick in the boot. The bright flash of heavenly light striking Paul with blindness is God's retributive justice, Saul getting what he deserves. A good three-day timeout in the dark should be sufficient punishment to bring Saul to Jesus on his knees. But I'm not so sure that Jesus would agree. You have heard that it was said, says Jesus, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Or in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Why does it matter how we understand Jesus' intervention in Saul's life? It mattered to the New Testament authors because they knew it would shape how we understand Jesus' intervention in our lives. For the New Testament authors, it mattered very much how Jesus came to Philip, to Peter, to Saul, renamed Paul. The gospel furthered through the lives of transformed and forgiven men. It mattered because they knew that this is how Jesus had come to them, And this is how Jesus comes to us. The whole point of God's story in the scriptures, in history, in us, is that nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can hinder transformation, 
redemption, this new order that the Spirit is bringing forth. Jesus showed his first followers, who showed the early Christians, who passed down to us the way that God goes about this work. And the way it happens does matter. Unhindered. See what love can do. How are we to understand and experience Christ's coming in our lives? Imagine with me for a moment that Jesus comes to Saul on the Damascus Road, not as the universe's chief punishment officer, not wielding darkness and retribution, not to shackle and bind, not on the way to do a bad thing. Imagine with me that Jesus comes to Saul, that Jesus comes to us as the universe's chief agent of transformation. What if Jesus comes to us not in darkness, but in a bright flash of light? Not in retribution, but in redemption. What if Jesus unhinders the gospel, not by shackling and shaming us, but by setting us free? What Saul experiences on the Damascus Road is not merely a physical change, as we might say in high school science class, but a chemical change. A change in substance at the molecular, elemental level. The word Jesus uses to talk about this kind of change throughout the Gospels is the word metanoia. This is a fundamental transformation of the mind, the soul, and the body. In the same way, the caterpillar receives an entirely new way of seeing and being in the world as a butterfly with a new body, new instincts, new gifts, skills, and tools. Saul is gifted with an entirely new way of seeing and being in the world. As, G as Saul is on the way to do a bad thing, Jesus lovingly, tenderly, and powerfully brings a flash of light into Saul's life that makes it impossible for Saul to see or navigate the world the way that he did before. And this is the way Jesus comes to you, my friend. Lovingly, tenderly, powerfully, gifting you with a new way of seeing. The seed of hatred is sprouted in the soil of our resistance and unwillingness to be unconditionally loved. In fact, in Jesus on the cross, we see what we do to unconditional love. 
We see what we do to that which could really change us. Our rejection and resistance become the capacity for hating ourselves, for hating others, the capacity for violence and and scapegoating and all other forms of hatred. The gospel is the power of unconditional love that overcomes hate, not with hate, but through suffering, through vulnerability, through this unremitting mercy. In the same way that Jesus makes possible a new way of seeing and being in the world for Saul, Jesus makes possible a new way of seeing and being for us. A redemption from the cycle of refusing to be loved. I got to thinking this week about Clarence Jordan. Clarence was a good farmer and a brilliant Greek New Testament scholar from the state of Georgia. He loved the land and he loved Jesus. In 1942, Clarence and Florence Jordan moved from Louisville, Kentucky, back to South Georgia to found Koinonia Farms with another couple. Jordan intended for Koinonia to be a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. The farm was an interracial community in which black and white believers lived and worked together as co-equals and co-beneficiaries. They lived the way of life described in the book of Acts. In case you didn't catch it before, the farm was founded in 1942 in South Georgia. More than a decade before the official start of the civil rights movement. During the civil rights movement, Koinonia became a target for bombings, shootings, burning crosses, and menacing acts of violence and hatred. And the community at Koinonia confronted hatred with their transformed, merciful, and just community. Koinonia wanted to make a difference in the area of housing, and so they started a project to build decent, affordable homes in their community for their neighbors. In 1965, Millard and Linda Fuller stopped by Koinonia Farms, planning to visit friends for the day and ended up staying for a few years. In their time at Koinonia, they were inspired by the housing project and eventually founded an organization that might be familiar to you, Habitat for Humanity, which eventually became the modern-day movement for affordable housing. A movement that has impact here and now, even in Jefferson City, Missouri. I think sometimes about the kind of sight, the kind of vision and imagination Christ himself must have given to Clarence Jordan. To see the potential of a small plot of land, a small interracial group of folks in South Georgia in 1942, 
the amount of holy imagination, the elemental transformation necessary to make possible what happened at Koinonia Farms in 1942, in the 1950s, in the 60s, all the way until today is astounding. In that community, hatred and barriers have continually been overcome by the absolute freedom and love of God, unhindered in the hearts and souls and minds of one man, one family, one community. Child of God, what bright flash of light is stopping you in your tracks? In what way is God lovingly and tenderly and generously unhindering transformation in you? Welcoming you into the absolute freedom and love of God. From what ways of seeing is God so lovingly and tenderly freeing us to dream, to see the world in a new light, to be God's kingdom here and now?